0: going to be in Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, uh, real quick, a housekeeping note from last week, uh, someone asked about that passage, that you'll be known as you are now known, that's 1 Corinthians 13:12. First 1 Corinthians 13:12. so if you were with us last week, we referenced that verse, so 1 Corinthians 13:12. 12. Alrighty, Revelation chapter 21, continuing our study here through the book of uh, Revelation, and excited what God has in store here for tonight we're getting to the final couple chapters we have got some interesting things to talk about so we left off last week right around verse 5 and we talked about what heaven was going to be like and we got into verse 4 a lot that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death nor sorrow nor crying there should be no more pain for the former things have passed away and he who sat on the throne said behold i make all things new and he said to be right for these words are true and faithful and that's what we left off last week this idea of being true and faithful This is something we can count on. This is something we can rely on. This is the hope that gets us through. If you're like anybody, you probably have good days, you have bad days. And on the bad days, we need that hope, we need that encouragement. And these passages, especially verse 4, give us that hope and encouragement to get us through. So what we're going to continue on here, starting in verse 6. We've got a few more spiritual points to talk about. And then from verse 9 to about verse 21, we start getting a literal physical description of what some of the heavenly realms are going to be like. So that's going to be kind of fun to get into tonight. So without much further ado, verse 6. And he said said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life to him freely who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, moral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So let's talk about this here for a little bit, especially this verse 6. This idea of it is done. I like that phrase. I like that phrase a lot. It reminds me of what Christ said on the cross when he said it is finished. And obviously when Jesus said that on the cross, we talked about the important spiritual representation. It's done. It's finished. When Christ said that on the cross, there's nothing that we need to do or have to do to earn any type of salvation because Jesus paid the full price and penalty on the cross. So to do something in your walk where you're going to have Jesus and you're missing the whole point of when Christ said it is finished. When he said it is finished, he's saying it's all about me and me alone and what I did on the cross. What a freeing thing that is. We've been talking about this on Sunday mornings in our study through Romans, and we just got into it last Sunday. The idea of it's all about grace. It's all about what Jesus did, not what we did. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn salvation in any way whatsoever. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. It is finished by what he did on the cross. I know that's a fundamental point That's something that needs to be reiterated again and again. Well, this reminds me of that in verse 6 because it is done. What's done? Everything. It's over. The curse is over. Sin is over. We're now into heaven. We have this eternal, heavenly realm. It is now done. And he reiterates this in verse 6 by saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I've shared it with you numerous times. If you know the beginning and you know the end, there's absolutely nothing in the middle that you need to worry about. Nothing. And I've said to you before that I like to get online and see how the movies end before I watch them. I know how it ends. I don't have to worry about what's going on in the middle. I don't get emotionally attached to any characters. I don't get it. If I don't like the ending, I just don't watch the movie. So I know how the movie ends. Verse 6, he's the beginning and the end. So that means right now that I'm in the middle, I have nothing to worry about. If you know the beginning and you know the end, then don't worry about the middle. We know what happens. We know what the eternal realm brings us. We know what heaven is. And he, what does he do here in verse 6? I will give you of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. This idea of eternal life. Now we got, we got to build on this for a little bit because this is so vital, it's so important. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We've got to talk about this water of life and what this means and what this represents. John 4. Because I think this phrase that kind of comes out of here in Revelation where it talks about freely to him who thirsts. There's this idea and this mindset that we're thirsting for something. You guys all live with somebody. You all work with somebody that is searching and seeking for something more to life. And we know as Christians that the only thing that can fulfill that is Jesus Christ. We know that. That's the only thing. So as they're out there searching and thirsting for something deeper, and they can go all through types of stuff. They can go through women, they can go through men, they can go through drugs, alcohol, sex, abuse, of any type you want, and they're never going to find a true fulfillment because the only thing that truly fulfills is Christ. They're thirsting, they want something. Well, here in John 4, we have the story of the woman at the well. This woman at the well was a woman that was searching and thirsting for something more in life. And she just kept jumping from guy to guy, from man to man, and she would never find what she was truly looking for. Well, and then she met Christ. You can see here in John 4, verse 7, he says to me, he says to her, give me a drink. But then jump down to verse 10. He says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And look what Christ says in verse 13. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into ever." lasting life. That's why we're here, is that's all that matters, is seeing people get saved and have this water of ever lasting life. One of the toughest things for me to deal with out here at church is when you see somebody trying to fulfill themselves through something in the world. They think that job with the overtime hours is going to make it all better. They think that larger house, they think that prettier girl, they think the families, the kids, they think everything will make them happier. I've shared this story before. There was a gal I went to high school with, And I remember talking to her right out of high school when she was going through life. And she was not happy. She was admitting that she was not happy. She just said, if I could just find the right guy, that would make me happy. So she found a guy and got married. Talked to her later. and She says, if we could just have a family, that would make me happy. So they had a kid. And the last time I spoke to her, she said, if we could just have two kids, that would make me happy. I have no idea what's going on now. But she was thirsting for something, and she kept trying to fulfill it. There's this infinite hole in us. And the only thing that can fill an infinite hole is an infinite God the only thing finite things of the world are never going to take care of it Jesus knew that that's why he was talking to this woman at the well that she had deep issues in life he said the only thing that's going to help you here is me that's the only thing and then he says once you have me verse 14 but look the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life we get to experience the eternal life of Christ but let's go one step further stay in John and go to John chapter 7 please John 7 look at John 7 verse 37 On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Christ touches our lives, and as Christ touches our lives, we get to go touch other people's lives. And this is sometimes where there's a breakdown in the system when it comes to Christianity. Because sometimes in Christianity we say, well, look what Jesus did for me. And I'm really happy about what Christ did for me. Okay, well, then we're missing the second part here of John 38. We get verse 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Yep, that's me. I came and drank of Christ. I am fulfilled. I have purpose. Uh, Jesus died for my sins. But then we don't do 38. Out of my heart now is supposed to flow rivers of living water. So when I run into somebody who is born again and saved, walking with the Lord and they still feel an emptiness, one of the things I like to ask them is verse 38, you know, how's your water flow? Because if there's not rivers of living water coming out of your heart towards other people, we're really missing our purpose in life. And we're going to really feel empty. We're going to feel like, what is the purpose of this? Because the purpose of me being saved is now go tell other people about Christ. That's the divine purpose. Well, jump back now to Revelation 21. Part of what we get to experience through all of heaven all of eternity is this fulfillment of verse six of we no longer thirst for things Now, no one likes to admit this because we're all saved and we all want to sound like we got it all figured out but we all struggle with moments of depression we all struggle with moments of discouragement we all struggle with moments of just dis- being disgruntled i had a friend that one time referred to another brother in the lord as a disgruntled christian he knew christ he knew jesus he knew the whole plan He just didn't have that joy that comes out of it. And I look at this verse 6, and I tell you, I want that water where I no longer thirst for anything. So when we talk about what heaven is, one of the joys of heaven is finally total fulfillment in all things. We just get to have Christ, and we're completely, totally fulfilled. Now, that may not sound like most exciting thing. But if you're truly struggling in this world and you're really looking for a bigger purpose, that's the best thing you can do. It's just to have that relationship with the Lord. Cuz look at this second verse in verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Do you realize that's a huge verse? That's a huge verse. We get to be called the sons of God. That's amazing. We are fully adopted into the family that we have the full rights and privileges as a son of God. So through all of eternity, heaven is, verse 7, enjoying that inheritance of God. Isn't that amazing? Now, I think that's something that's hard for us to fully grasp, because we don't really fully understand what all that God has to offer us. In fact, one of the verses we're going to go through, hopefully either this Sunday or next Sunday, in our study through Romans, is the unsearchableness of God. We can never fully grasp what this means. We have all of eternity to enjoy the inheritance of what the Lord has done for us. Now, If that really doesn't excite you, because sometimes I'll have people come up to me quietly, confidentially. They'll pull me inside and they say, I want to talk to you about heaven. I say, okay, and I'm always thinking they want to talk to me about heaven because they're concerned about salvation, whether they're in or not. And no, they're not worried about that. They come to me and they say, hey, I understand heaven. I understand what it is. And this is what they say. They get really quiet. They say, James, heaven sounds really boring. sounds like, I mean, are we just going to like twiddle our thumbs for all of eternity and just kind of like, yep, this is heaven. And I think we forget what part of heaven is. Part of heaven is, as we talked about last week, verse 4, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sadness. Heaven is, verse 5, all things are new. We get a fresh start in Christ. For all of eternity heaven is verse 6 having that fountain of water of life that we no longer thirst and heaven is verse 7 we get to hang out with our dad for all of eternity now if you didn't have a good relationship with your earthly father that doesn't sound like heaven, that sounds like hell. Because maybe some of you don't want to hang out with your dad for all of eternity. But I would hope that if you had a good relationship with your father, go back to when you were a kid. I'll tell you right now, i got four boys at home with a fifth one on the way. I think, I hope, if you'd go up and ask my kids, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? I almost guarantee they would say, I want to spend all day with Dad. When I have to leave, it's like the end of the world. When are you coming back? How long are you going to be gone? What are you doing? They want to just be with us. If we're sitting there watching TV, I'll have four kids on the love seat with me, just all around. They just want to be with Dad because there's just that relationship there. And I think for all of heaven, we get just to hang out with Dad. Now, And once again, if that's something that doesn't resonate with you, I encourage you to go back and look at your walk with Christ because your relationship with Jesus is, as we've talked about before, yes, we're the bride of Christ, yes, he's our friend, he's our brother. Also, we're going to be with God the Father. And there's this closeness that we get to experience for all of eternity to being in the presence of God. What a wonderful blessing that will be. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about those things first before we kind of move on to the rest of the stuff? Real quick point I want to reiterate, and we've hit this before, so I'm just going to mention it quickly. That idea there at the end of verse 7 of the one who overcomes, just a quick reminder reminder of what that means according to 1st John 5 1 John 5 verses 4 and 5 it says this is the fi- victory that has overcome the world our faith who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God so if you look there in verse 7 where it talks about he who overcomes overcomes means you overcome the world and you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior now we talked about the blessing of heaven thus far, no more pain, sorrow, sadness, verse 4, all things made new, verse 5. We have the water of life, verse 6. We have the inheritance, verse 7. But we also have to mention verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual, moral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. See, we're talking about the joys of heaven here for all of eternity, but we also have to present the flip side of this. There's the eternal blessings of heaven, but there's also the eternal torment of hell. And it's important that that passage gets lifted up to show both sides of this. And a passage I always like to do as a bookmark with that is Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. It says, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's that black and white. There's either everlasting punishment or there's eternal life. That's the importance of knowing Christ as your Savior. And as we've said out here on almost every Revelation study, we can sit here and talk about the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, and the eternity of heaven, but really what it comes down to are people saved, not saved. That's all that matters. So when you see these passages here, like verse 8, it reminds us that we're talking about this eternal blessing of health and being with God and the water of life and enjoying for all of eternity. But look at that last phrase one more time at the end of verse 8. The lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There's also an eternal hell that has to be mentioned to show the flip side of that. So we're done talking about the spiritual side of heaven, if you will, the inheritance, the no pain, dwelling with God, the eternal life and fulfillment. Now let's talk about the physical. Look at verse nine. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come. I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife, and he carried me away in the spirit. a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and the names written on them which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are all equal. Then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to the measure of man, that is, of an angel. And then in verses 18, 19, and 20, it goes through all the different stones that are represented there and then verse 21 the 12 gates were 12 pearls each individual gate was of one pearl and the city of the excuse me and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass wow what a description what an absolutely amazing description of what this eternal abode is going to look like did you catch this here in verse 21 there's 12 gates and they're all one pearl all one pearl and it says each individual gate was of one pearl now i don't know how big the gates were but we know how big the the well, length of everything here is, if you look in our notes on our sheet, it says it's a cube-like structure that's roughly 1500 miles long, wide and tall. Now some people thought maybe it's more like a pyramid, but I think when you read this out it really looks like it's a cube shape. And some people have even thought that maybe these gates would be the exact height Of what that would be. So therefore that these gates could possibly be 1,500 miles. Side gates. Now if you're like me, my demented sense of humor, verse 21, if that's what it is, that's one big pearl. Which that means that's one big oyster. That's the way my mind was thinking there. So I don't know. It's kind of freaky. That's a little, I thought it was a little funny. Okay. Scratch that, let's move on. But the point is, you get this idea of what this structure we're talking about is. So, this is called the New Jerusalem. He sees this descending out of heaven. It's a cube like structure, roughly 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. That's big. That's real big. Now, we can in our mind envision 1,500 by 1,500, but now you've got to go 1,500 miles up too. That's huge. And that is this new Jerusalem that is descending out of heaven. Now, some people, when they read this, get this idea that they kind of thought that maybe this new Jerusalem um, kind of orbits or, or goes around the new earth. You know, I don't know for sure about that because it keeps talking about its foundation. And, you know, to me, if it's talking about a foundation, generally speaking, foundations are attached to something. And so it's attached to the ground. So I don't know if it eventually comes down all the way out of heaven and attaches itself to earth. Some people have actually thought that maybe this becomes the centerpiece of heaven and instead of this orbiting around the earth, the earth would actually orbit around it. You know, We don't know 100% for sure. There's some really neat symbolism here that's going on with this. You can see according to uh, verse 12, it had the 12 angels at the gates, which were represented the 12 tribes. And then you also see what it had there in verse 14. You had the 12 foundations, which represent the 12 apostles. Because for all of eternity, it doesn't matter the whole uh, Jew-Gentile thing. We're all saved in Jesus Christ. And you see that oneness kind of coming together here of the Jews and the Gentiles all through Christ. And so it's measured out like this. And before somebody stops and says, well, you know, can we really look at these measurements as being actual measurements? Well, look at verse 17 one more time. It says then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, which just to put in perspective here, that wall then is about 216 feet thick, thick wall there, and it says right there that it says in verse 17, it's the measure of a man that is also of an angel. So it seems like they're giving actual literal dimensions here. But it's interesting, this is kind of made out of gold, but the gold is such of a pure, amazing gold that you can actually see through it. So you've got this 216 foot thick wall but it's actually a wall that you actually see through because it's transparent gold. Look at verse 18 one more time. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. What an absolutely amazing thing this is actually going to look like. Look at verse 21 one more time. The street of the city was like pure gold, like transparent glass. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Note that it is, descends out of heaven. It shows the heavenly realm that is going on there. And to be t- honest, this is tough to grasp. Because when we think about building something, we think about building from the ground up. Anybody that knows anything about construction, you don't say you want to build the roof first. You lay the foundation. Well, this thing is actually descending out of heaven, and it's kind of different for us to put our mind around. Now, if you're like me, I read through verses 9 through 21, and I've read through this and read through this and read through this, and I always come out with more questions than I do answers. And I think part of the reason why that is, it goes back to the passage we're going to talk about on Sunday, how unsearchable are the riches and knowledge of God. John here, in his finite vocabulary, is trying to describe a heavenly scene which is almost impossible to describe. These colors, this gold foundation, but it's a transparent gold. This thing is 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It's got the 12 plural gates. It's got the 12 foundations. It's got this... It's an amazing thing to see. And as we've used this example out here numerous times, try to explain the Grand Canyon. Try to explain the ocean to someone who's never seen it. You try to explain it, eventually you say, you know what, you, you, you just got to see it. Because words don't, don't do it justice. I remember when my wife and I went out to California years ago, one of the gals I used to work with, we told her we're driving out, and she goes, Colorado, you're going to drive through Colorado? I said, yeah. She goes, just wait till you see the Rockies. And I said, okay, what, what are they like? And so she tried describing it, and I'm like, Okay, so they're just big rocks, you know, she goes, and she finally said, you just, you just got to see it, you just got to see it. So now then when we drove through the Rockies and you see this amazing scene start building up in front of you, now if someone came up to me and said, have you seen the Rockies? And I would say, yeah, and they said, what do they look like? You know what I would say? You just got to see it. Same thing here with heaven. What's heaven like? Well, it's a 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500 cube, and it's got a lot of gold in it, and a lot of other things, and these really big pearl gates, and uh, there's 12 foundations there that represent the apostles, and 12 gates that represent Israel. Doesn't that sound like a great place to spend all of eternity? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it sounds kind of weird, to be honest with you. And that's where I think you reach a point of saying, you know what? You just gotta see it. It's gonna be amazing, because we can't describe the heavenly scene. And I've heard, I, the first person I heard say it was Greg Glory. I don't know who said it before him, but they said, if God was so easy to explain, he wouldn't be worthy of our praise. If heaven was so simple to say, yeah, it looks like that house down the road. We'd say, well, then what's the point? It's an amazing thing that John is trying to put into words here, the actual physical description of what we're looking at and what an amazing thing that it is. Let's take a quick break here. Any quick questions? Yeah, Ryan. Mm It would be. And that's, that's honestly probably a pretty good way to kind of describe it. And that's where I would always go back to everybody. And don't forget, it goes back to verse 1 of Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there's also no more sea. The earth that we think of now is going to be totally different. It is. And once we mentioned before that idea of there being no more sea, we've even talked about how the ecology of earth is going to be totally different. So yes, in our mind right now, when we're thinking in the realm of gravity and we're thinking of the Realm of atmosphere, we think of this structure shooting up in the sky 1,500 miles, and we say, I don't think that would work. This is a brand new ball game with whole different types of rules. And so, therefore, if that's the way the Lord has intended it for it literally to sit on the earth, it's going to work. If He has it intended to be some type of sphere going around the outside of the earth, it's going to work. But it is. It's kind of an interesting thing to look at and think about. Anybody else have anything here? Yeah, Ron. One time I looked at it on a map, and I think it would take up roughly half the United States if you go to the 1500 by 1500. But yeah, if it would come down right over where we would think of Jerusalem now is, that would take up the entire Middle East. But once again, it's hard to relate to that because with the new heaven and the new earth, it's, everything's going to be different. And that's what the hard thing to relate. But yeah, to put just in perspective, it would be taking up half the United States or the Middle East right there. Anybody else have anything here before we can move on? Okay, so that's kind of what's going on there a little bit. Let's go to verse 22. It says, But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the go- glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall be no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Some interesting things here. There's no temple because why? God's the temple. As we've talked about numerous times out here, when you read through Exodus, when you talk about the tabernacle, when you read through the temple that uh, Solomon built, those are all just pictures of a heavenly scene. Hebrews makes that abundantly clear. These are just copies of what a heavenly scene is going on. So we don't need that temple because we've got the real deal there going on in verse 22. This idea of the moon and sun, that's part of creation. All of creation is cursed. We look at this sun, and this sun is dying. The sun is using up energy as we speak. And so, therefore, this light that you have now in heaven in verse 23 is the eternal light of God. And plus, I, when you think of the sun and moon, what do you think of? You think of night and day, you think of times and seasons, days and whatever. We're now into eternity. We don't have that burden of time on our shoulder. Verse 24, remember nations, the word nations can also mean people. Everybody comes into it. Verse 24, that's saved, where it talks about the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. Don't think that literally means kings. It means that once you get to heaven, everybody's equal. You may be been a king down here on this earth, but when you get to heaven, you're bringing your glory into the temple because it's all about the Lord. Verse 25, gates are always open. If you know anything about Old Testament, when they had the walls of the city, they always closed the gates at night for protection. Same thing, I assume, when you guys get home, before you go to bed, you lock your doors. Protection. Well, in verse 25, there's no fear. There's nothing to be worried about. The gates are constantly open. Once again, verse 26, it's all about the glory of God. And verse 27, there's nothing we need to worry about there. Born again and walking with the Lord we're in there. That's the amazing thing about it. What a neat, amazing picture of what this heavenly scene is like, what it represents. And like I said, I just sit here and I keep chewing on this and chewing on this. And I just really feel like the Lord sometimes keeps saying, just, just wait, just wait till you get there. And once you get there, you'll see what it's really going to be like. They do the best job they can with words of man to try to describe this heavenly scene. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that it is. Does anybody else have any final questions? Yeah, John. I don't take it that way. I take it to mean that part of the reason why you closed your gate at night was to keep the bad things from getting in. I take verse 27 to mean that nothing can come in because there's nothing bad to come in. That's the way I kind of take it. it reminds me of when I talk to my kids at night. It's like, you know what, there's nothing under your bed. We don't even have to worry about it. We can look. We can leave it open. There's nothing to worry about. That's the way I kind of take it. So, yeah, Ryan. Yeah, it is, and that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. And I haven't studied this out completely, but I have read before that if you go back and look at some of the dimensions of the like Solomon's temple, that a lot of the dimensions were very cube-like in its dimensions there. And I haven't gone back to actually you know, work out all the math there and stuff. And some people have taken the cube to be this idea of almost this perfect symmetry of, of, of God, the perfection of you know, you know, height, you know, length, and width are all equal to each other there and showing that idea of complete perfection. It's an amazing thing because when you stop and you think of heaven, all all of us have our picture of what we thought heaven was, and when you look at this description on Revelation 21, it makes us rethink a little bit, a kind of well, what's what's going on there. So kind of a neat thing to kind of chew on, though. Pretty cool thing. Maybe else I yeah, surely. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, chapter 22, we get into some stuff over there. If you see in verse chapter 22, it talks about the pure river of water, and then what you have here going on in verse two. As you said, in the middle of the street, on either side of the river, was the Tree of Life. So we'll get into that next week a little bit about the meaning of what that represents. But that uh, that comes up next chapter. All right. No one else has anything. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll let you guys go then. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus, and we just uh, stop and thank you for the time to be here, Lord. And Lord, we just um all that matters, all that really matters is just you, Lord. And help us to keep that perspective and help us to keep that mindset in what we do and what we say. Lord, it's not about us. It's not about the struggles we go through, Lord. It's about seeing people come to know you. Lord, we know the eternity of heaven. We know the eternity of hell. And I pray that we would be lights and witnesses in all that we say and all that we do. And Lord, give us that purpose in life, that fulfillment that only comes through you. And Lord, just as your word said there in John 7, we pray that out of us would flow the water of life, that we'd be a light and a witness, Lord, and we pray that in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this time to be in your word, and Lord, thank you for the eternal home that you left to go make for us. Um, Lord, when you said you would build and prepare a place for us, you weren't kidding, Lord. Thank you for that. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Don't forget heart to heart this coming Saturday, and uh, we'll get into Revelation 22 next week. You guys have a good week, and God bless.